Hello, and welcome to Press Church. My name is C.R. Pendleton, and I'm the executive pastor here. We have our e-bulletin available online with links to our Connect form and website. You can access this by opening the camera app on your iPhone or Android device and pointing it at the QR code on the screen. If you are new with us today, we are so glad that you've joined us. Please connect with us by going to PressChurch.tv or by snapping on the QR code with your device and clicking on the I'm New link. This is not a commitment to anything, but an opportunity for us to support you and thank you for joining us. Each Monday night from 6 to 8.15 p.m., we partner with the Delaware Dream Center to deliver groceries to families in need. We build relationships with these families and grow in our own faith as we serve others. You can volunteer once or twice a month or even weekly. To find out how you can participate, please contact Pastor Jason at jason.allison at pressedchurch.tv. If you would like to join Press Church in making a difference in this community, there are four ways that you can support us financially. If you are visiting a campus in person, there's a box at the back exit of the worship center where you can drop off your support as you leave. If you prefer to send a check, send it to 8794 Big Bear Avenue, Powell, Ohio 43065. The easiest way to give is by visiting our website or texting any amount to the number 84321. Let's celebrate everything God has given us and support the community both locally and globally. Now, let's prepare to engage what God has for us today. She said, I want a love that's just so perfect. When I wake up, I don't deserve it. I want a love that gives me freedom. Give it all up just to finally meet it. I know I've got God on my side, give him the night, I want to ride, but don't know where to begin, I guess deeper than I know, I, I want to love this just like Jesus, well hello and welcome, welcome to Press Church. Uh, I am C.R. Pendleton, I uh, was on the video a minute ago and I actually didn't even know they were going to show that video, so... Uh, um, I am one of the pastors here on staff, and I, I want to welcome you here, and if you're watching us from another location, we're glad that you joined us today. And for all the fathers that are here or watching online, happy Father's Day. It is, uh, it's, it's one of those things, I'm a father, um, I, I just kind of prefer, just leave me alone for the day, that's, that's good for me, but uh, it, Father's Day can be an interesting thing, because it can actually be uh, really challenging for some people. Maybe you lost a parent, or there might be a, a strained relationship in your life that involves a father, or someone who needed to be a father figure who wasn't. So we want to remember that today as well, and, and take that into account. There is also another significant thing about today. Today is Juneteenth. So if you don't know anything about what Juneteenth is, uh, this is the day when we celebrate the emancipation of, of the slaves, and uh, that's massively important, and uh, it's not something that should be overlooked, uh, even though it is, it's Father's Day. And I, I wanted to say something in, specifically about this today, because we have an obligation as Christians to kind of take a look at some of our viewpoints and our mindsets and our biases and our history and take that into account when we, we take the heaviness of a day uh, uh, like today in that regard. And uh, so if you don't know me, uh, I do have a master's degree from a seminary, uh, and it's an SBC, or a Southern Baptist 
uh, school, okay? So th- this, this group, the Southern Baptists, developed because they wanted to keep things cool in the South when it came to slavery, right? Some people say that they wanted to keep slavery, uh, and some people say that they just wanted to keep the peace. But the reality is, is under the guise of a biblical foundation, there was support for maintaining the status quo with slavery with the Southern Baptist Convention. And, um, and so, you know, I, I, although I have a, a master's degree from a seminary, and I got good teaching there, and that's not what they espouse today. That name still represents something, and it was still carried out under the banner of Christianity. So we have biases, we have things, we have history, and there's things that we need to actually examine. And so that's really important to take a look at. And I think that's really important as we examine the love series that we're in right now. So today, we actually have a special guest speaker. Uh, Sean Lee will be back next week. He has a, he's on a very needed vacation. But uh, if you don't know, this church was Gateway Community Church just a couple of years ago. And there was a great pastor who was the lead pastor here, and he helped navigate a, uh, us as Press Church to come together. And we are now one church. It's, it's been past, uh, what, uh, going into two years now, where we've come together as one church, and we've merged together. But uh, I want you guys to be open to what Pastor John has for us today, and I want to introduce to you Pastor John Atkinson. Thank you, CR. Hi, everyone. That was a good word on, uh, on justice. That's always a hard one for us in the Christian world. Um, powerful truth from the scripture. You can't get away from it. So we're going to continue in the series, Uncomfortable Love. So what I really want to ask you is this one, one question. Who here likes to be uncomfortable? Nobody? Nobody loves it? So let me ask you this. You're not sitting around during the day, you're bored, and you go, you know what? I'm bored. I'm going to go out and find an awkward or uncomfortable situation and just see what it's like. Make myself feel alive. Nobody does that? Yeah, I don't either. It's part of life, though. Things can get uncomfortable, right? You go into an elevator. Think about this. Someone walks in, and they just stand a foot away from you and stare right at your face. And then they touch your shirt and go, is that rayon polyester? That would be uncomfortable, am I right? Because what they're supposed to do is look at the display in the elevator the way God intended when he created the elevator on the seventh day. That's what God intended for people to do. Obviously, I think I'm funnier than you do. That's fine. (laughs) I made up that thing about the elevator being invented by God on the seventh day. So we're talking about uncomfortable love. Now, everyone else who's done this part of the series talks a lot about love. We like to talk about love, don't we? There's a whole channel committed to love on TV, the Hallmark Channel. When I need a good cry, I'll check out a Friday night Hallmark love story where someone always gets sick. And unfortunately, it seems like someone always dies. But it's about love. I don't want to just talk about love today. I want to talk about being uncomfortable. Now, there are a couple of different responses we have to being uncomfortable. 
One is to go inward, right? We close off our walls. We defend our comfort zone at all costs. And um, we go after those things and those people who make us uncomfortable. We want them to adhere to the things that make me comfortable. And that's our response to being uncomfortable. Now, psychology tells us, and I believe the scripture tells us, that being uncomfortable is what changes you and teaches you and helps you grow. Bible might call it conviction. When you realize there's something in your life that isn't right, the things that we don't want to face up to and consider, we don't want to hear from anyone else. We get convicted. We get challenged. And instead of being defensive, instead of walling off, we listen. Even though it's uncomfortable to realize we don't know something or we did something wrong or we haven't behaved correctly or treated someone with the dignity, honor, or respect they deserve. So if we're going to seriously talk about uncomfortable love, we're going to have to go straight to the matter. We can only do sanitized thoughts about people we consider safe. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you something, and I want you to just, before you make a value judgment about this, I want you to do this. I want you to look at what I'm putting up here, and I want you to think not about anything else, but think about how it makes you feel. Let's show that image. Think about your emotional response. Where does it come from? Now, in a church, sometimes you do something like this and someone walks out. Someone says, is this guy trying to force something on me and make me change my opinions? Or some might be thinking, and people watching online might go, oh boy, here goes the church guy. He's going to attack everyone else in the world now. There's probably different opinions about that even sitting in this room. I'm not going to do either, by the way. I'm not going to even really talk about this very much. I'm not here. I'm not going to pass some value judgment on it. Because really, what we're talking about is if we're going to follow Christ, we have to learn what it means to apply uncomfortable love. And I want you to be able to embrace some discomfort in this dissonant, crazy, fallen, dark, twisted world that we all live in and that we all engage in. It's not because of anything else. I mean, it's because of us. So let me read our passage for today in Luke 5, 12 through 13. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus... He fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What a great statement. If you are willing. And Jesus, of course, says, I am willing. Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, this is uncomfortable love because lepers were not supposed to be close to anyone. 
They had to scream out unclean. When anyone approached, they were strictly taught. It was a strict rule that you never, ever touched anyone with leprosy. Because if you did, then you became unclean and were not supposed to be around anyone else until you had gone through the correct ceremonial uncleansing. And we read this story, I think, today, and we go, that's so Jesus. It is so cool. Look at him touching lepers. But the writers of the gospel, when they told this story, they knew that their readers were going to find it unbelievably repulsive. Unbelievably repulsive. Leper. For us, we read these stories and we've heard them over and over and over again and they become part of the pantheon and the idea. When they wrote this story, this was, this was taking a hammer and breaking glass right in someone's face. It was Now, when we read about leprosy in the Bible, it's not necessarily one diagnosis. Now, you know, in medical circles, we've identified specifically what that is and all of the exact medical condition that's that. But it's really talking about any skin condition that people might be afraid of or look really bad on someone. Some things were permanent. Some things went away. But having anything like that made the lepers outcast socially and spiritually. They weren't considered clean, so they couldn't worship with their community. Can you imagine living a portion of your life, whole life, being considered unclean and having to announce that publicly whenever you saw another person? Now, there are people that walk around feeling that way feeling there's something wrong, there's something less, there's something empty. But having to announce it publicly, because if they touched you, they became unclean too. And what's interesting in this passage is the focus is not on healing. The focus is on being clean, on being restored socially and spiritually. And that's very powerful, that empty thing going on in those people's lives. And it happened because Jesus loved him and touched him. The man exhibited humble faith. Let me tell you what he did not exhibit, and we have no earthly idea about who he is. He did not exhibit moral purity or perfection. What he exhibited was faith. If you are willing, you can. Now, not one person in this room or anyone listening who claims to have received God's love and grace got it because of their merit. Only by a faith that says, help me, cleanse me. Help me, cleanse me. Now, one thing I think that's interesting is this interaction doesn't seem to be particularly uncomfortable to Jesus, does it? But it would have been incredibly uncomfortable for most other people in this culture. So the question for us to ask is, who are our lepers, so to speak? The people we ignore or avoid or disdain or put down or disagree with? And we need to give that some thought. It's a little different. 
probably for each one of us. There are going to be a couple of times today when I just say, I want you to think about that for a second. That's one of them. So I just want you to take five seconds. Think about who floods into your mind. Who makes you uncomfortable? Now, there is a process, I think, to get where we need to get to in our heart and in our thinking. And part of this is realizing how difficult this can be. You have to realize that loving or touching some of these folks that you might find lepers or disdainful, other people probably do as well, and it may cost you some social cachet. That's the hard thing. We start giving up social cachet. We want to be identified with the people that we like and we look up to and we think are cool and we think are important and we think are rich or we think are risers or we think that their attention to us is going to really mean something for us. But maybe hanging with these people, being seen with them or being identified with them may make others uncomfortable and put you in a lesser category. It has to do with our identity. It has to do with our security. It has to do with where we find it. And I don't just mean social strata. We live in Powell, wealthy, you know, we're in Powell now. Not, we don't all live here, but a wealthy community and there's social s status that matters, the car your kid drives to school or doesn't drive to school. It's not just that. It can also be the fair sexual attitudes of the Christian subculture that exists in our culture. Show someone love that they don't want you to love, and you might better watch out sometimes. And we might think that's crazy. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. Exactly what happened to Jesus. You spend time with sinners and tax collectors. None of these stupid disciples that you chose ever were able to make it to the ranks of a true disciple of a real teacher and they're crude, and they don't wash correctly when they go into the synagogue. They, just, they aren't doing it right. They just don't have it. But Jesus is not uncomfortable because he sees the world as it is, full of broken people who need restoring. That is an understood. And that would be great if we woke up every single day seeing the world like that, full of broken people who need restoring, and we're one of them. We can't just walk out and go, why are you acting that way? We already know why people are acting that way. Why do you think that way? We already know why people think that way. Why aren't you doing this instead of that? We already know why people are doing this instead of that. We already know. It's a world full of broken people who need restoring. It was true of his disciples, of Jesus' disciples, the lepers, the sinners and tax collectors that he spent time with. And it was true of the religious leaders and the rabbis who thought they were better than everyone else and thought they needed to correct everyone else. It's a constant theme in Jesus' life. He walks into this city of Jericho, and the first thing he does is he walks up to a Roman tax collector for the occupying Roman forces named Zacchaeus and wants to have a meal with him, and everyone is outraged. Jesus' social cachet does this. What are you doing? There's some important, smart, holy men in this city. What are you doing with that guy? It would be like... A Ukrainian family 
whose village just got destroyed by tanks, walking out and finding a Roman, Russian soldier and inviting him over for a meal. Think of it like that. It's bananas. But Jesus doesn't see the world the way that we see the world. So how can we see the world in a similar way? How can we see it? Let me give you a couple of things I think would help us to do this. One, understand who we are. Understand who we are. Don't spend time focusing on what everyone else is and what everyone else isn't and what everyone else does and what everyone else should do and how everyone else should think and how everyone else should act and how every, right, all those things. Don't spend all your time doing that. Who are you? Understand who you are. We aren't perfect like Jesus, so who are we? Right? I think we would be much more able to love comfortably, love uncomfortably, love like Jesus, if we all adopted a phrase that Paul, the apostle, applied to himself. I am the chief of sinners. Let that one set in for a minute. Let's just say it to yourself. Try it on. Try it on. Now let me say this about that phrase. The point isn't so you feel like a piece of dirt, right? The point is to free you from pretending that anything else is true, right? And this is the only way you can find identity and security and fullness in Christ. If you can't get there, you're not going to get there. What we tend to do is skip that part and become hyper-religious and then begin to believe that we're somewhat better than everyone else and all those people who think wrongly and act wrong. That's not the point. Think about that. I am the chief of sinners. And once that truth becomes clear, you'll understand that there's no one you meet that needs forgiveness and grace more than you do. No one. I don't care how heinous and disgusting you think their behavior is or their thoughts are or their lifestyle is. There's no one that you will ever meet who needs grace and forgiveness more than you. Then you can see people in a different light. You can empathize, not feel superior for some petty reason. You can cross lines like Jesus crossed lines and cross barriers because the superior stuff you were trying to protect that you think you have in your back pocket for yourself, you really understand is meaningless. Jesus addressed this when dealing with a prostitute who came into a room full of religious leaders and started touching Jesus' feet, what I would call a fairly significant breach of protocol, by the way. There is some superior grumbling. Jesus tells a story about being forgiven just to help these guys understand what it really means to be forgiven. And then he drops this bomb on him in Luke 7, 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. The concept is this. Whoever is forgiven much, loves much. Whoever is forgiven little, 
loves little. So you want to become a person in comfortable love that we're talking about? You darn well better embrace the chief of sinners concept. So you can be forgiven as much as you need to be forgiven. Because that's going to lead you to acts of love. Because you're not going to feel superior. You're not going to be holding on to looking for social cachet. You're going to know what you don't have and how you stand before the holy God of the universe who's not looking to destroy you, not looking to slap your face, not looking to tell you how bad you are. But his whole intent is he already knows this. He's already seen this. This is no surprise at all to God ever and never, ever will be at any time anywhere on the earth. He's got one goal, to restore and cleanse you. He's got that goal for everyone. And we get to be a part of it if we're willing. But if you don't understand your place and who you are, you're not going to love very much and definitely not love uncomfortably. The second thing, one, understand who we are. The second thing is understand the mission of the gospel. Understand the mission of the gospel. The mission is not to try to force people to act like Christians and to act like Christians want them to act. I mean, honestly, Christians don't act like they're supposed to act anyway, so the whole thing seems a little silly. That's one thing. We're not trying to do that. And also, the mission of the gospel is not to build a protective fortress around the Christian world so that none of the bad ideas can come in and none of the bad actions can ever touch anything and we don't ever have to get our hands sullied and we don't have to see this and hear this and be around it and we build these walls and we're very defensive and we just lob bombs out at the world telling them how stupid they are, right? No, that's not the mission either. The mission is this. It is to bring the light of grace and forgiveness into the darkness of our world. To bring the light and grace of forgiving, the light of grace and forgiveness, into the darkness of our world. So that's why we see Jesus doing what He does. Right, John one, the light came into the darkness. The darkness did not understand it. The Word became flesh, and the flesh dwelt among us. He came. He was incarnational. He kept coming. And then what he did is he didn't go to the places we consider holy. He constantly went to the places that we consider dirty and lost and filthy with messed up people and screwed up behavior and terrible attitudes, thieves, sinners, tax collectors, etc. And he just kept doing it over and over and over and over again. Thankful. Thank God for us he did. Jesus says it in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's it. Not to hate the lost. Not to make the lost comply with a proper set of rules. But to see people restored by grace and forgiveness. That's our job. That's our call. To live in that for ourselves. And to help others know it. And experience it. All the other junk is just wasted time, wasted space, and confusing the mission. There's a powerful book and movie based on a true story called Dead Man Walking. Now, there's some political stuff about this. I'm not involved in the, you know, that has political leaning in the book, but I'm not worried about that. I, what interests me is actually what happened between the people. There's a story of a nun named Helen Prejean who ends up becoming a spiritual counselor for a man on death row. 
He's a vile person in just about every single way, toward women, toward African Americans, toward anyone you can imagine. Hateful, mean, violent, spiteful. But as she learns his story and she hears about the abuse, the neglect, the violence he was exposed to as a child, the poverty, the things that made him who he is. She's intrigued. Now, he's a murderer. He absolutely did the murder. He pretended like he didn't for a large portion of their early conversations, but it eventually admits to it. But Sister Prejean eventually becomes friends with the father of one of the man's victims, Lloyd LeBlanc, who's being torn apart by bitterness and rage. But he's a faithful man, and he realizes what's happening, and he believes the gospel holds the only answer for him. They have conversations. They have some tense moments because LeBlanc isn't particularly in love with the fact that Sister Brajan is going to see the murderer of his son. But eventually, LeBlanc goes to her and says, would you pray with me in this chapel? And they go together to a chapel. And he prays for every single person involved. He prays for the mother of his son's murderer, a woman who is being persecuted daily because of what her son did. A woman who probably had no idea how to really love her kid or how to manage a wild son and an an angry, drunk husband and torn apart. And then she's being torn apart again and again. He prays for the man who killed his own son. Now that is uncomfortable love. Most of us won't experience something so dramatic. But we can look at ourselves and understand the mission of the gospel and apply those truths to the people we see as lepers in our lives. There's not one person you meet that's worse than you. And there's not one person you meet who doesn't need God's grace and forgiveness. You never received it because of your merit. Don't let that trip you up. Jesus saw the world as it is, full of lost people. He never blinked at it. He never ran from it. He never pretended it was anything different. Let's do the same. We're going to pray. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the amazing love that you showed to us as individuals and to our world by not rejecting us as we rejected you, but by continuing to pursue and pursue and pursue. And not only to pursue, but to sacrifice yourself to pay for our sins, willingly giving up all sorts of things, pain, humiliation, to seek those who rejected you. Thank you for coming after each of us and allowing us to understand the truth of grace and mercy, giving us a way to be restored when we couldn't do it on our own power, our own strength, or our own goodness. Father, help us to be driven to the reality of the kind of love you showed people who are fallen and broken in our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.